Welcome to the London Welsh Rugby Club podcast. This is episode 40. It's been a busy old time at London Welsh podcast towers of late. Last week's podcast with Colin Charvis was picked up by Wales online journalist Simon Thomas, who printed extracts from the interview and put in a couple of links to our podcast episode. This is good news for the club as it keeps the profile up to their readers around the UK, which is never a bad thing. We've also launched our Six Nations wine service collection in association with Greg Sherwood, Master of Wine, with some wine from Italy, France, England, and including a Welsh rosé from Monmouth. Our guest this week didn't really have much of a playing career, but due to a bad back injury, really focused on his coaching when in his early 20s. Having been employed by WIU coaching at schools and clubs, he then moved on to coach Cardiff Academy. He took the gamble of joining London Welsh in 08 as a forwards coach, but was quickly made head coach and was in that role for 18 months. He has coached three of the Pro 14 clubs, Wales in the 20s for two years, Bristol in the Championship and won a European trophy with Cardiff Blues. He moved to coach the Scottish forwards for a couple of years, which included two Six Nations and a Rugby World Cup in Japan. He is currently the coach of Glasgow Warriors. Our guest this week is Danny Wilson. Enjoy. This podcast is sponsored by London Welsh Developments. London Welsh Developments offer the entire range of services for all your home needs, from plumbing, electrical, joinery and building and maintenance. Their many years of experience building all forms of extensions and conversions, the odd new build and some bespoke garden rooms and home offices. You will clearly see the attention to detail and understanding of your home that is difficult to match. They really do care and want the best for your home with no stone left unturned. For more information, contact London Welsh Developments on 0208 335 9123 or email on info at uk. London Welsh Developments. Welcome to the pod, former London Welsh head coach and current Glasgow Warriors head coach, Danny Wilson. How are you, Danny? I'm very good, thank you. Yourself? I'm very well, thank you. I suppose first and foremost, um, we're in lockdown 3.0 or 4.0. Just making sure, you know, how are you and the family? Are you all, all good? Yeah, yeah, we're all good. We um, we live out on the, on the east coast of Scotland. It's pretty cold, but... Uh, plenty of beach space and open spaces for us to, to kind of avoid everybody and uh, do what you need to do in lockdown. So um, not ideal for like it is for everybody, but yeah, we're all good. Thank you. Well, that, that's good to hear. So you're employed by the SIU. So obviously a massive day for them yesterday, winning at Scotland, winning at Twickenham, sorry. What, what do you make of that performance yesterday? Oh, it was an outstanding performance, to be fair. Um you know, to, to go to Twickenham and get a win. It was a couple of years ago when I was involved we had a draw in, in um, at Twickenham against England with them having an extremely dominant first half and us an extremely dominant second half. But I thought that Scotland yesterday were dominant from, from start to finish. Um, you know, played really well, really controlling rugby and put uh, England under huge pressure, but, but also probably wasn't an England side or an England performance that you've kind of seen recently. And I wonder if a few players having not played for a long period of time and a few bits and pieces, they didn't get off to the start they wanted, but Scotland certainly took advantage of that. I mean, in, in theory, Scotland should be in a, a way, shouldn't they? In, England were always in that game. You know, in the last like five minutes, it's, it's a five-point game. And in theory, you know, Scotland should have been 
10, 15, 20 points further ahead, shouldn't they? Yeah, exactly. Knowing Gregor Townsend, I know he'll look back at that and, and think exactly that. And they'll probably look at those opportunities that they had for such a dominance of possession and and um, and territory and to probably not come away with as, as you know, a few more points would, would disappoint them. But at the same time, they won't they won't wouldn't have worried about that. Um, you know, getting an away win there is, is massive and uh, you know great for Scottish rugby. Just a, sh- just a shame there was were no fans there to see it and to celebrate around uh, you know HQ in Twickenham, really, isn't it? Yeah, it would have been carnage, I'd imagine, to be honest with you. But um, yeah, that's kind of the way it is at the moment. It's a very strange time. Same watching the Wales game today, no crowd. It's very, very different, very strange. But um, that's what we're living with. It's very flat, but look, there's massive audiences watching on television. So that, let's look at the positive side of it all. It's you know huge numbers watching international rugby, and that can only be good for the game, can't it? Yeah, definitely. Um, it's the next best thing, isn't it? You know, um, I, I found it weird as a coach, you know, when you, you kind of, your home advantage goes a little bit, you know, because you, you, you haven't got that atmosphere that you normally get. But likewise, when you're the away team, it's a little bit of a leveller from the other side. So it kind of levels itself out. But, it, you know, I'm, I'm desperately looking forward to crowds returning and the atmosphere that you get at games because that's what we're all, we're all in it for. No, 100%. Look, you're Glasgow's head coach. So is your role to develop players for Scotland or to win matches for Glasgow? <laughs> oh, it's, a, it's a bit of both. Um, it's, it's definitely a bit of both. I think that when I took the role, things were very, very different to what they are now. I took um, the role uh, pre, pre-COVID, so none of this was on the horizon. It's, it's changed the role completely. But um, at the same time, it's kind of given us the opportunity to, to look at younger Scottish players for a number of different reasons. But um, certainly a part of my role is to make sure that Scottish players are coming through the system. But at the same time, um, the demand from Glasgow supporters and Glasgow as a, as a club is to win rugby matches. So, you know, any any job at the top end of, of the game is about winning. And, um, yeah, you can kind of balance what you can balance, but it's about getting results. No, I get that. So, but is it quite challenging to keep players in Scotland, you know, playing for the Pro 14 teams? Because you've seen people like you know, Gray and Hogg and, and Russell sort of kick on in their careers, really. And, and actually, Scotland are benefiting from them playing so well. Uh, in you know in the Premiership or, or in the top fourteen in in France, you know um, you know is it is it that difficult balance for like a Glasgow Warriors head coach? Yeah, it is. It's, it's a it's a huge um, problem in that you know the kind of checkbooks from other clubs um, and probably around this COVID time as well, where we've been hit a little bit budget wise um, for the immediate future. Um, you know, it, it's kind of tough challenge in some of the some of the the um, approaches that you get on your players and, and there's not really any ruling or, or, or any reason that a player has to stay in Scotland there's no sort of 60 cap rule or 50 cap rule or anything like that and if they if they leave they can't play for the country um, there's none of that which makes it uh, difficult to keep them um, if they're getting like I said big offers from from other French clubs or, or English clubs and as you've seen at Glasgow you're Johnny Gray's Stuart Hogs, Finn Russells that have, that have left, and, and recently Adam Hastings, we've struggled to keep hold of, unfortunately. Um, they've gone on to to other clubs and, and clubs in England and France, and we, we, we then open the door for the next one, whether it's a recruitment or a young Scottish qualified player to come through, which, is, as I said at the start, is probably part of my role and part of our role at the club. Now, that makes sense. You're the next generation come through, you could give them sort of experience in the Pro 14 and then, you know, they'll be, hopefully then, you know, they'll be um, putting pressure on the likes of Hogg and, and Finn Russell, Finn Russell, et cetera. So um, that's the Pro 14. We're just, just recording this at the end of the Wales-Ireland match today, which obviously builds nicely for next week's Wales-Scotland match. 
Um, what did you think of the Wales Ireland game today then? It, well, I mean, first of all, it was really important for Wales to get the win, wasn't it? You know, I think there was huge pressure on on everybody. Um, maybe not having the best autumn, and obviously the the results kind of recently in comparison to the to the past, maybe not being where they want them to be in Wales. And and I I know myself from firsthand the pressure that can build in Wales. It's uh, obviously um, rugby first and foremost. So it was important they got the win. They got the win. I think the the red card helped massively. Um, and I and I didn't, you know, I think they'll probably again see lots of areas that they want to build on. But sometimes just that win can turn a corner for you, and I think um, an important win for Wales. And see if they can bounce bounce on from it. I think they'll have to be a lot better to beat Scotland next week. But um, you know, on, on Scotland's recent recent form, but we'll see. Yeah, that's that's a massive match now. I think surely it's like Scotland's match to lose, though. You know, home advantage. They're the form team. You know, Wales struggled. To put away a 14-man island, really, didn't they? They really struggled today, I thought, to get any sort of fluency in the game. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. Um, you know, like I so say, early on, you get you get a red card. You're kind of hoping to to get away from a side then. But at the same time, that can be galvanising for the opposition. It's strange, I think, these things work at times. But, um, yeah, I think they'll go to, to Murrayfield as underdogs. I think Scotland, you know, sort of a very uh, convincing performance uh, against England. But, again, knowing... knowing the um, the kind of what's happened in the past, let's put it that way. I think one big win hasn't always led to the next one with Scotland, and I think that Gregor will, will really want to put his foot on the gas this week and the coaching staff to make sure that they kind of build on that and, and don't let their foot off off the gas for for next week because um, doubling up and going two wins at the start of Six Nations is absolutely massive, and momentum in Six Nations is everything. So if they can get a, get a win uh, against Wales, it will be huge for Scottish rugby. But likewise, as we know. Um, uh, a Welsh team going there as underdogs could be really dangerous. Yeah, I think it's great for Six Nations of Scotland one yesterday. So, um, <laughs> but we'll we'll leave that out there. Look, let's go back to Glasgow quickly. So, obviously, we're in the middle of a pandemic and it's challenging for everybody. But how has that really affected your role? Um, any sort of all the protocols, you know, the the seasons being truncated. You know, that must be quite challenging for you to sort of um, to build your momentum with the squad and things like that. Really. Yeah, I mean, it's changed things in so many different ways. Um, in order, the first thing it changed when when I before I even started our, our budget. Last, so I took over the recruitment of sort of halfway through the end of last season. So um, Dave Rennie had done some recruitment, and then I take on the last bit of recruitment. Um, a huge chunk of our budget kind of was lost at the end of, of of that to finish off. I say huge, a, a decent portion of our budget to finish off the recruitment. So we were a couple of players short going into the season. Um, and, and then the second thing that was probably the, the biggest change was the Autumn Nations Cup meant that we lost somewhere around 12 international players to Scotland. And, and normally in a normal season, that's just for two or three weeks. But this was for a, a lot longer period, which we all supported because it was to get the money back in the game. So it was very important that that went ahead. Um, but because of COVID, they were, they were kept in a bubble. So even if the players weren't selected for Scotland, they weren't released back to play for Glasgow. Now, Two, two clubs in Scotland, that, that hits us in Edinburgh extremely hard when we, we have so many players in that squad. A bit, a bit like the two Italian sides, they have the same problem. If it's spread across four or six or 12, it's, it's far um, far easier to manage. But So that, that was a massive problem. So it meant, meant us having to find local players and um, loan players and bits and pieces like that, which which started the first sort of half of the season or up to Christmas was really, really difficult. Then we got the players back, um, but unfortunately... 
they were only available for three games because we had a bit of a COVID outbreak ourselves. So we had um, two two weeks of isolation and our fixtures were called off. So that's when your internationals are available to use the worst possible time <laughs> for us to have those games called off. But um, we, we finished that. We only had three games over that period, two derbies um, and a European game. Uh, we had a good win against Edinburgh in the last derby, but then the boys have disappeared again uh, off to the Six Nations camps. And hopefully there'll be a couple of players released as opposed to the non-release policy, but we'll see. Um, and then and then probably the third thing is exactly like you said, the restrictions, the day-to-day. When you go into a new club, um, you want to go in and gel as quickly as you possibly can. That means spending time with, with players and staff outside of rugby, meeting families, um, going out for beers, going out for meals, doing functions, doing away days, all the, the, these things that get you really tight as a group really quickly. That's been impossible, obviously, with the restrictions. Um, and, it, and it's kind of quite a cold environment, really, which we're trying to influence massively and do as much as we can to have a bit of fun. And, um, but he, he, even after games, you kind of sit in your change room, you wait for the bus or two buses to pick you up because you can't, you can't all go on one bus. You've got to share buses to split the, the spacings. Uh, off to the airport home and, and that's you, you, you know, so it's, it's very, very different at the moment. Training environment, you're kind of in, mask on, you sit in meetings for very short periods, two metres apart, um, out to train and then, and then home. So the social element of it, the fun element of it isn't quite there at the moment, but we're all very, very fortunate to be playing rugby and I'm happy with that. But at the same time, I'm gagging to get back to especially as a new coach in a new environment, some sort of normal where you can do the things you would normally do. I think the, the sports team are providing a public service really in terms of entertaining people to, you know, while they stay at home, aren't they? You know, so, so the Pro 14 is, is finishing, uh, I think, at the end of March or in April. And then there's, there's the Rainbow Cup, I'll say potentially, because that involves South African teams. And, um, you know, what, what's involved in that? And I suppose... I'm not going to get an ex- exclusive from you, Danny, but is, is, that, is that likely to go ahead now, you think? Your gut feel? Um, I might get your guess, my guess. They're both probably of, a, of an equal because <laughs> at the moment, I'm, I'm, well, I mean, as an example, we didn't know our fixtures for this next block of Pro 14 games so a couple of weeks ago. So normally you get your fixtures laid out for the season. We didn't have a clue what they were going to be. Um, so same with this next kind of competition. Whether it goes ahead or not will be dictated to by... COVID and, and all the travel restrictions and, and what's going on in South Africa. So I've learned this season just to never take anything for granted and sit back and wait. And as soon as you get the news, you you have plan plan A and plan B ready to go. But um, yeah, we'll see. I, if I'm honest right this minute now, I think it's just not that I've got any inside information, just looking at it from a, from the world at the moment and where it is, I think it's very unlikely. But um, we'll see. Hopefully it will go ahead in some in some way, shape or form. Yeah, no, no, that's, that's fair enough. Look, um, as I say, you, you can plan. So look, looking back um, on your sort of rugby journey now, both both playing you know, and coaching, uh, you you're born in West Supermare. When did you sort of start getting into rugby? Um, I, I played at my local club from sort of 10 years old, like most like most young young kids. Um, my old man took me down there and me and my brother and we played uh, Western Hornets, or Hornets as it's known, but it's in Western Supermare. Um so we're down there as a, as a young man and played right through the age groups and all the rest of the stuff. And um, yeah, thoroughly enjoyed it. And I kind of knew I, I wasn't going to make a, a massive career out of playing. You know, I, um, I had a, a, a few sort of reasonable moments, but at the same time, I had a back injury at 25 that retired me. 
So um, I was into coaching very, very early. But uh, yeah, from 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 Western uh, Supermare, I, I went up to Bristol for a while and played a little bit there and then went over to Cardiff Met to do my degree in sports coaching, probably knowing where I was going to end up, that it was either going to be teaching or hopefully coaching. Uh, very, very passionate about that. And um, yeah, that's what I did, did my degree there and and kind of played for Cardiff Met as a re- was the requirement then. Um, and that was a Division One team in Wales at that point. So it was a good standard of rugby, pretty brutal standard of rugby as I remember it as well. Um, but yeah, got my degree done and, and kind of moved into coaching from there. Did you play with Chris Jenkins or was he the physio when you were playing? He's probably the physio, wasn't he? Yeah, is that right? Yeah, neither. He was at um, so I was at Cardiff Met, which was the old UIC. Yeah, and I think Chris went to Cardiff University. I think, or did he go to? Uh, if he did, he wasn't at my time, um, so I didn't spend any uh, any time with him. I had enough time with him at London Welsh. <laughs> did, did you also play for Triorki as well? Or, um, have I got that wrong? No, you're right. Yeah, my my, my last year of rugby was at Triorki, so I I kind of uh, finished my degree. Um, and then I came out and went to Triorki, which at the time were, again, a, a, a club at the sort of Division One level, a good club, a um, couple of quid in your back pocket, sort of rugby, sort of semi-pro and uh, really enjoyable. So a great group of boys. Um, I went from Cardiff Met, where we were on the end of a good kicking every single week weekend as a, as a student team, to a Triorki uh, team and pack of forwards where it was the mirror opposite. I remember playing against uh, different people, after, the same people, sorry, that I played with Cardiff Met that give you a good boot in and, and were, uh, you know, pretty, pretty um, intimidating to looking at that same person in a very different light with the, with the Triorki team uh, dishing it out the other way. So it's quite, quite a good experience to see. Um, but yeah, that's where I kind of finished really. My back was in a, in a bit of a knot there, a bit of a mess. So that, that was when I called it a day. Uh, what position did you play? I've got um, looking at you. I, I, I want to say scrum half or hooker, but I, I don't know. So I was a hooker, yeah. Okay, yeah. I was a lot lot heavier back then than I am now. Not in a good way, um, <laughs> in a bad way. But I lost a good sort of three stone when I finished playing. Bloody hell! I mean, that's that's uh, that's madness, isn't it? Really. But look, so you gave up because you had a back condition, and then you'd done your degree in sports coaching. So what was your? F- um, what was your sort of first job then, really, in terms of coaching? Did you, was it at the Cardiff Blues Academy straight away, or did you have to work up to that? No, I did. What I did to start with, I came out and uh, of my degree and um, playing up in Triorki. The reason I ended up playing it really, I I, I became a um, development officer. So bag of balls, stack of cones, and you went around the schools and the clubs and and coached all age groups, um, all standards, and that's how I started. Um, at the same time then, I was kind of lucky enough through that development work, I bumped into um, the likes of Justin Justin Bunnell and um, Clive Jones at the time, who were kind of, Justin getting heavily involved with academy rugby then, and Clive was um, Ponty at the time, kind of almost like the director of rugby really at Ponty. Um, so they got me involved in doing a bit of academy coaching, and, and that was probably my first sort of little dip into it. And, and from, from there, I built that and to, to a point where I was kind of half academy coach, half development officer. Um, and then I got an opportunity to coach England women. So for a good two, three years, I was, that was my first full-time coaching job was coaching England women. And um, I learned a huge amount from that. It was a great opportunity for me. Um, and then was fortunate enough to, when um, uh, uh, Steve Lewis, sorry, took, took over the WIU and became the boss there. Steve kind of, um, 
encouraged me to apply for a job coming back as a skills coach, which I did and, and managed to get that job. And, and that's where I was really dive into kind of academy work and um, more elite sort of coaching as a full-time skills coach, which was a national skills coach then. So you did a bit with the national age group teams. You did a bit with your your academy team, which for me was, was Cardiff Blues and snowballed from there. So when you were sort of working with the academy with Cardiff then, was that with um, Justin Burnell as head coach at Cardiff at the time? Or was that before, was that Dai Young? So Dai was um, director of rugby or head coach of, of the Blues at the time. Yeah. Justin was the academy manager. Um, I was one of his academy coaches, uh, as was Gareth Baber, um, the old scrum half, who, who is now with Fiji Sevens. Um, so, yeah, as, as coaches, we were the kind of three coaches, really, who coached the academy. And then you had academy sort of, uh, or regional teams. So we also coached the regional teams in that competition, um, which was like an under 20s competition, under 18s competition. We had some good success with that for a couple of years. And we had some brilliant players come through that academy. We were quite lucky. Um, you know, you had Sam Warburton's, you remember Justin picked up Lee Halfpenny from the Ospreys when they released him, which was a strange decision, but it worked in our favour. Um, your Bradley Davis's, your, the list goes on and on and on. Jamie Roberts, um, a really good crop of players that came through that year. And we had a good two, three years working with them. And we had a very, I think, a very good academy system there that, that worked really well at the time. No, it's, great, it's great to hear those names and you know, having sort of responsibility for coaching them. But did you move from the Cardiff Blues then into being um, the Cardiff Blues like forwards coaches? Is that, is that what happened? Is how your career progressed? No, it was, again, it was a strange old, um, strange old journey. Mine, mine's very much been... Uh, kind of taking each opportunity it's come. Um, I remember I was still coaching the academy and then Justin went into Cardiff Blues with Di um, and uh, Gareth Baber was was kind of on the brink of doing that as well. And then I had the opportunity really to to, to go and coach at London Welsh. So um, I, I, I remember meeting... Um, uh, Peter Thomas at the time and, and Martin Jones who were kind of running the team and running the, the club and so on at the time and went in as a forwards coach so I started as a forwards coach at London Welsh and that was that was the biggest gamble and probably the most important decision I made in my coaching career because I could have sat in that academy job for the rest of my days you know what I mean I could it wasn't really a job you were going to get sacked from there wasn't huge pressure in that job um, I wasn't married I wasn't didn't have any kids so it was uh, an opportunity and a decision that I took and a gamble that I took to come out of the safety net of the job I was in into the more slightly more cutthroat world and um, obviously a world at London Welsh which turned out to be um, not not less in well, pretty insecure at the time with everything that was going on but a really important decision and, a, and a, one of the best ones I made because the learnings I got from that job set me up for uh, I think other things I've done in, in, in um, my career. Yeah, out of the as it out of the frying pan into the fire, as the, as the saying goes. But as you say, you were forwards coach with Martin Jones, but it was only a few games into that season, and then you were appointed head coach. Um, you don't have to go to any details about about personalities that sort of thing. But were you surprised um, you were appointed head coach so quickly into your sort of first season with London Welsh? Yeah, it was one of those um, really awkward moments, and probably through experience, you kind of look back and think, oh. I, I wonder if I, you know, how, how I'd handled that if I if I had the same sort of thing happen to me now. Um, I remember Martin got called in one day uh, down to the offices and then came back and said he was he was leaving and 
you know, from then I suppose I was sat there as a um, as an assistant coach with in the position to be able to kind of run that for a while. And I think it was probably very much see how it goes sort of scenario. But um, yeah, it was uh, it was an awkward situation because um, you know Martin was good enough to give me an opportunity and. Uh, I enjoyed working with him, but you know it, it just didn't work out, and it wasn't working out at the time in terms of a number of different things, and and it led to London Welsh making that decision, and yeah, and I was in in the position to to kind of carry on from that point onwards, and I I did then the next two years, I think it was as the head coach. Yeah, but you lost your first four games in charge, didn't you? I did. Yeah, I, took, <laughs> I got used to that adversity. I tell you, it seems to follow me around in my career, and going through the tough times to get some good times out the other end but yeah certainly when I took over the, we lost our first four games and um, we were feeling it a little bit and then we had a good run that kind of got us out of that thank God and, and I was lucky I had some really good senior players there um, some good leaders and some good people that really helped me with that situation the likes of Paul Sampson um, uh, Millsy, John Mills, you know Mike Powell, people like that. Um, I was I was fortunate. Gordon Ross, we we got there at the, the, the next point. So some good senior players that helped a young coach uh, to get to kind of get through it. I suppose you know it's your first appointment as head coach. You must have been feeling the pressure somewhat because you obviously want to get to a, off to a good start, and to lose those four games and then like you know it's you've got to have the support of the board at the time that we're we're backing you. We're back. I know you you know you're going the right way, but you've lost four games. But there comes a point where you think they're going to be looking elsewhere and you're four games into your brief tenure as head coach of, of this big gamble you just made. Well, that's, that's right. And then going back to, you know, seeing how it goes, you kind of were thinking, well, this isn't going too far at the moment with the four losses. But at the same time, I think it's important when you go in. And I remember sitting down with, with the relevant people and kind of putting some rough idea of a plan, probably not as detailed as I would do nowadays, but a rough idea of how I thought we could build and, and improve recruitment and improve the process. Um, and like all changes, it takes, it takes time and it takes uh, painful moments to go through. I mean, um, I've had those in it everywhere I've gone, but probably the, the, the most black and white example would be with Cardiff Blues when, you know, we went in there and had a really tough first year. And then in the third year, we won a European trophy and, and you go through that pain and, you know, we're going through a bit of pain now with Glasgow with this season as it is. And, but I know the plans are in place and, and I hope to see the fruits of those plans. And that was what happened to London Welsh. We, we went through that tough period. Um, I had to get an assistant coach pretty quickly because back then there was, there was me and me only really. Um, and Phil Greening came in and, and, you know, two hookers, two forwards, um, me doing kind of, uh, a lot of the, the sort of set piece work and, and forward play with the ball and, and getting the likes of Paul Sampson and some of those senior backs to help me with the, the backline attack stuff. Um, and then you're, you're Phil Green in doing a lot more of the back stuff than I did and, and doing all the defence work. And Phil, Phil had come from a Wasps team that defended with a blitz defence and the Gats and Sean Edwards. And he brought that to us at London Welsh. It made a massive difference. And, you know, it started to snowball from there really. And we had, um, we had a, a good, good end to that season and then we and I actually remember it very well our last weekend was a trip down to the Pirates uh, and again we needed to win to achieve the goals that we'd set out for ourselves which we did so we had a good uh, a really good weekend let's put it that way from um, from that trip and yeah rolled into the following season where a different circumstance uh, came up. Yeah no you so you finished sixth that's that season I think you're, you're 
great run started just after Christmas where you beat Sedgley, you, London Welsh beat Sedgley Park 60-0. So you won 10 of your last 14 games. So uh, with, I think, uh, Tom Brown got five tries in, in one game, I think. So, and I mention that because I think today's Gerald Davis's birthday and he was the last player prior to Tom to score five tries in London Welsh game, believe it or not. Um, yeah, Tom was an outstanding player, um, really powerful, um, good bloke as well. And uh, yeah, he, he, he went well over that period. And could you recruit at all during the season? Obviously, you can probably get some loan players, but did like, I'm, I'm going to guess now, did, did Phil Green and being Matt Corker to London Welsh or was he already there? No, he was, he was actually already there, Matt. He was, um, when I arrived, he was between Wasps and London Welsh. He was kind of on a sort of dual contract between the two. And then he ended up fully with London Welsh for the, for the next however many seasons. Um, again, another good example of a good man, a good player who was important to us at the time. But you had like Paul Doran Jones there, you know, Ali Thomas, you know, World Cup Sevens winner. So, some, you know, I say some strong. And that's just the sort of season I sort of remember mostly as well, because my children, you know, we used to go and watch the games. But my children were so young, you probably watch 10% of the game. But as they get a little bit older, you can watch maybe 25% of it. So you just remember some of the, the characters in the team. But as you say, look, your first season finished sixth, second season, and it was the advent of the championship, weren't they? So what were the goals set in place for the, at the beginning of that season? I remember it was um, the first the first thing that we wanted to do is the first chance to get a full pre-season, you know? So that's, that's again, going back to what we're going through with Glasgow at the moment. We only had a four-week pre-season to come back in, but a full pre-season gives you a chance to put so much in place cultural stuff, um, your, your environment, the way you train. We didn't think we were fit enough at the time. And I remember Phil was a big part of that. Um, we didn't think that we, we could kind of play at the intensity and defend the, the intensity that we wanted to. Um, so we kind of put a huge amount of pressure on the boys that pre-season um, to, to put a, a massive pre-season shift in. And we had good conditioning staff who put the boys through their paces. Uh, we went, we went on a, a trip to the, um, with the Marines, which was through Phil actually, which was an unbelievable experience. And the boys um, saw full bore, not, not a kind of, um, you know, a, a sort of easing into it visitors view. They absolutely hammered the boys. There was a couple of times there where I thought, we've gone too far here. This, is, this isn't good. Someone's gonna, you know, complain about this. And back in the day, we got away with it, but the Marines beasted the boys from start to finish. And, we had a brilliant week there. And, and that was when all the problems were starting to happen, you know, financially and on everything that was going on at the club. But we, we set a stall out to be one of the fittest teams in the league. And, and, and we started off that, that year doing that. And um, it was an old school approach, but it, it kind of worked. And really then it was about, if you remember the league, as I remember, it was structured very differently. It was about making the sort of playoffs. And then the playoffs, it all started again, really. You went into two pools and you had to work through the two pools. So the main objective was to get to that playoff position and then you know we took it one step at a time from there and we were lucky enough to to roll on to remember we needed to beat um Doncaster away to make a semi-final as I remember it and I think this I think that was on a Saturday and then we had to play Bristol on a Friday night in the semi-final and Doncaster kicked lumps out of us and boys in a six-day turnaround was was a lot to ask, but um, unfortunately we got knocked out in that semi-final as I remember it. But it was a brilliant year, brilliant experience, um, huge learnings and, and probably set me up for future, you know, issues that I've had. You know, if I'm honest, at Glasgow and at Cardiff Blues where we've gone through huge adversity and I learned that adversity can bring you 
bring you far, far tighter as a group. And we were really tight as a group, that group of players, that group of staff, um, some brilliant boys there, some top boys there that, that um, you know, were, were going through real uncertainty about their own careers and about their own paychecks. And were going out and beating teams like Exeter twice that season. Um, so they were unbelievable that year. And it was a, it was a great year and a shame we couldn't get on to a final. Yeah, so you talk about adversity. I think that's the key that I want to, I want to talk about, really, because Kelvin was looking to exit a little, a, at a time. And, um, you know, then Neil Hollingshead comes in uh, to, uh, with his false promises, shall we, and false paychecks. So mm. how does that affect your role of trying to lead these teams? Obviously, you've, you've built a, um, you know, they lots of great characters in the squad and great camaraderie. Um, but you know that must you know if you know if you're not going to get your paycheck at the end of the month, that that's quite demoralising for a professional athlete, I imagine. Well, yeah, I mean, going back to that Marines trip that we went on, I remember at the we we were driving back on the coach. Everybody, you know, absolutely knackered and done in from from what had been an unbelievable week, and we had a good drink with the Marines at the end of it, and everyone was finished and done. But we didn't know Monday morning whether we'd definitely be in. As the administrator was running the club then, and the administrator was good enough to let us do that trip because we convinced him that it was extremely important to the season going ahead and us being a viable, um, you know, uh, attraction to somebody to invest in. And there was a consortium being put together. There was Neil Holland's head in the background. There was all this stuff going on. But we went on that trip not knowing whether we'd be in work on the Monday morning, which was a very, very strange one. And we just set out to really enjoy ourselves. And I remember saying to the players, um, Boys, I, I will be see-through honest with you throughout this process. So if I got told by the hierarchy, don't tell the players this, don't tell the players that, I did the opposite, rightly or wrongly, because to me, the only way they were going to fight for each other and play for, for me and, we, and, and us to hold it all together was to be very, very honest with them. Not, not you know, if we weren't going to get paid or there was a risk of us not getting paid, I told them. Um, if I didn't know the reasons why certain things were happening, I told them. But if I did know, I told them. I told them everything. And I think it was that see-through honesty that enabled me to stay tight with the group of players um, and for us to keep fighting for the cause, which was going out. I mean, at times we were going out, if we're honest, to, to, especially the players, and to put out a performance that'd be in the shop window for another club if the club was to cease to be or cease to be at that standard. So it was very important we we were tight and, and, and did that and, and all aided that. And the staff were the same. We had some brilliant staff there at the time. That, that understood the situation we were all in. And it was a unique one for a first-time head coach for myself to go through administration and to go through all that we went through. But like I said, I think it made me stronger. And I lent on some good people and some, you know, you had, you had some people who'd been at the club for a long, long time. The, the likes of um, Pete Lowe at the time, who was, who was, you know, a great man or is a great man, I should say. And <laughs> No, well, you're right first time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was... Um, was kind of left out on the wings a little bit with with all that went on at times, but he was always there for advice, and he was you know because because he knew the club inside out, and it's those people that are really passionate about the club, um, and know the club from top to bottom that you know you 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 need to keep around because they're the people that if they you know don't get paid or or or, or get offended by something they don't leave they're always there because they they they. You know what I mean? Diehards for the club, and and it's those people I think that are really important when you go through times of adversity and tough times as we did. No, definitely, I think I think we've docked five points for uh, being in administration last year, and yet we finished third. You know, um, third in the league before the, the playoffs, just behind you know Bristol and Exeter, which is 
a phenomenal performance. You think about where those clubs are now, really. You know, I know it's 12 years ago or something, but still, you know, it's you probably laid a lot of the groundwork in for Lynn Jones' success a couple of years later. Well, it was it was certainly um a lot of we felt we achieved probably more than the sum of our parts that year and with with a lot of the things that were thrown at us. But but again, I go back to it, and I think he's probably the same for all the boys. We you realise from that time that you can still come through that adversity and be successful. You've got to ignore the noise and you've got to try and stay focused on the things that are important to, to the group being success, successful. Um, and if you stay focused and you're honest with each other and motivated, then, then you know, as we did, you, you, you every now and then you, you kind of do achieve more than you set out or thought that you would, would achieve. So it was a great, great year for us to to make a semi-final in the, in the fashion that we did. And it was just one step too far to go down to Bristol and beat Bristol. But I remember we took the lead. Dom Shabu, I remember, I think it was, charged a kick down at the other end and scored. And we are thinking, this, you know, this is dream world. We could go to a final here. But um, it was, we just didn't have enough come the end. No, that's fair enough. Look, just before we move off going to Welsh, look, we had Eri Clarsons playing for us last season. And he was top try scorer. He was class because he then got a move to Worcester, I believe, on the back of a couple of good seasons at London Welsh, didn't he? Yeah, great guy. Um, real quiet guy, real polite, you know, um, unbelievable man. And, and as I remember it, he had that kind of left-footed step, I think. And no one really worked out that it was only a left-footed step or I think it was left or whichever one. No, it was left. It was left, yeah. He kept coming off the same left foot all the time, but he... He did beat people for fun, but um, yeah, he was, he was uh, between him and Samo, I think, um, you know, we had some good finishing ability in that, in that team. And he was definitely a fan's favourite, as was John Mills, who's probably, I think that was his first full season with the club, I think. I think he might have been on loan the previous year. But did you think he would go on to have the career that he had? You know, he had quite a lot of success with London Welsh and then obviously four years at Sale. Mm. He was a man that defied, defied all um, logic around body shape and fitness. <laughs> you know, to, to, he, he did everything, everything you asked of him. But he enjoyed a beer, he, he, enjoyed, um, he enjoyed his food, let's put it that way. So he wasn't the easiest man to stay on top of from a conditioning point of view. But what a rugby player and what a rugby knowledge. He, he put himself in the right place at the right time. He was a diehard, he played with his arm hanging off for you. He's one of those old school type of players that he reminded me of kind of Dean Richards type of player. But, but yeah, surprised me. Very skillful. Um, you know, was, was, was very strong belief of his own ability and he loved the challenge of taking people. I remember when we went up to train against England, uh, I can't remember when it was or how it came about, but we took London Welsh up to train against England um, and I remember he had it in his mind that somebody was going to get it. And it was um, Steve Borthwick, I remember, carried. And John was, we were on pads, I think, at the time. And John absolutely smoked him with the pad. And you could see he was, he'd was he been lining it up um, in his mind right from the start of going there. But, yeah, he was that type. He was, uh, he was a brilliant player for London Welsh. And I, I think it surprised. He kind of sat between a second row and a back row, really. He had all the skills and all the ability. But wasn't like this out-and-out line-out jumper in the second row, but ended up doing a good job of that for sale. Um, and probably wasn't as, as fast as some back rowers, but still managed to get get by when he's in the back row. He just one of those uh, one of those guys who, who, like I said, was probably like like I said earlier on, sorry, more than some of his parts. 
Yeah, just just very effective, and they've got a great rugby brain. Really, I think you know, you know that's what uh, and, and a de- big desire to to be uh, successful and you know, just to and to de- desire to win, I suppose, and and to do things for this team. Look, look, um, yeah. So from from London Welsh, two years London Welsh. So how did your tenure at London Welsh finish? Um, you have to pardon my ignorance here. Were you let go, or was it? Did you then get offered a job at Newport? No, I got offered the job at Newport. Um, so I'd had another year left on my contract with London Welsh. Um, and, and I, uh, yeah, I remember, I remember one of the other things we did with London Welsh. Every Tuesday we went up and trained with London Irish and we had this relationship with them where we'd went and trained with them regularly. And I built a good relationship with Toby Booth. And um, I remember saying to Toby, oh, look, I've, I've been offered this job with Paul Turner down at the Dragons. And I remember his words were, look, if you, if you get offered a seat at the top table, in, in other words, at, at you know the top top league, then then take it because you don't know when you're going to get your next one. And it was it was tough a tough decision again because I've become so close to the players and the people at London Welsh and the and the passion and it's that real club feel. And we've gone through so much adversity and the shambles with Neil Hol- Neil Holland's head and you know Kelvin, an unbelievable man who financed the club for so long and came back to the table again. And I felt almost at a real difficulty to leave but at the same time I knew if I was to go on in my coaching career I needed to take that opportunity so it was with a heavy heart that I kind of asked if I could be released from my contract to go and go and take that job which which is what I ended up doing. What's that relationship with London Irish is that how we got players like Marlon Yard and Max Laheath playing for London Welsh or was that after your time? No it was, that was that was around that time same with um, uh, Matt Garvey and people like that we managed to build a good relationship with them. And then if they needed somebody to get rugby at the time they came to us, I think Marlon Yard was after my time, um, but we certainly had built a good relationship with him by then. Okay. No, no, cool. So, uh, so Paul Turner's now at Anthill, I think, isn't he? So uh, they're playing in the championship, hopefully in March. But uh, when you, when he was um, DFR at Newport, you were there for a couple of years. How, how did that go? Which is, you know, obviously they're a, seen as the fourth region to, in, in some people's eyes, but uh, for you as forwards coach there, what, what do you get out of that? And I suppose you were coaching like a young Faletau and people like that, I imagine. Yeah, so I'm forever grateful to Paul Turner for giving me the opportunity. You know, I was a very kind of young coach and um, I went there confident, but but also it's a little bit daunting when you're, when you're going in to play uh, the big sides week in, week out. And, you know, you haven't got a huge amount of... Uh, any experience at that level or in that league, but a huge amount of experience apart from the, that, that last couple of years. But like I said, my learnings and grounding from London Welsh were very important to me. Um, yeah, so Paul Turner, um, we had a number of good young players, Toby Falatow being one of them, who was in the academy at the time, just coming through um, and started playing for us. I remember he played against Toulouse in a game at Rodney Parade, his first game, and he was unbelievable. And he shone right from, right from the start. Um, Paul, unfortunately, got moved on had some conflict uh, with a few people. Tommy being Tommy, he's a very passionate man, or is a very passionate man. Um, and yeah, he ended up parting company with with um, the Dragons. And I remember then I'd been asked to do Wales under, tw- under 20s at the same time as the Dragons. So I did that, um, a chance to head coach again and, and carry on my forwards coaching role with the Dragons. And that was the the... First Six Nations, we didn't do particularly well, but that year we then went off to the World Cup and, um, and we had a really good year in South Africa. Um, we had a good group that gelled and, were, and again got close as a group, um, leading to a successful kind of tournament 
with the under twenties that that kind of really gave me the opportunity to kick on. I think that that success there in particular gave me, um, you know, positive sort of reputational view in other people's eyes. So we we beat New Zealand, the, the first top team ever to beat New Zealand under twenties in the in the um, pool stages. Went on to the semi final, unfortunately got them again because they were best runner up. So chances you beat them twice were pretty pretty slim, but we lost to them. And then went on to beat Argentina in the third place, third, fourth place playoff. So we finished third in the world that year, which was a big achievement for Wales in the twenties. Hadn't been done before. So, and that, that got me an opportunity at the Scarlets. Scarlets offered me a, a job as, as the head, uh, as the forwards coach at the Scarlets. Um, and again, it was a massive step up because it's, they, they were a huge club at the time, bigger than the Dragons. And it was the same role to do twenties and Scarlets in my first year. That sec, that, that's, that, year with the 20s we went to a world cup in france and went one step stage further and made a world cup final so we had a brilliant two years unfortunately losing to england in the final and, I, and then i settled settled in uh, at scarlet's for a uh, for a couple of years and that's where my wife is from from Tlenetli. so um yeah I, I lived there for a little bit and coached the scarlet's so and that, again brilliant experiences and plenty of learning for me so were you employed by WRU and the region or just WRU doing doing all these jobs like Newport Scarlet and the under 20s? No, it was, it was both. So I, I'd get an, a certain amount from the WRU to do the 20s role, which the region had to free me up to do. And then the bulk of my money would come from the region. So from the Dragons the for those first two years and then the Scarlet. Uh, sorry, the first, I only did that for the second year of my time at the Dragons. And then my first year at the Scarlets, and then the Scarlets said I needed to drop the 20s and concentrate solely on, on the Scarlets, which, which is what I did in my second year. So it's, it's these bit by bit. When, you, when you're not a player in the game like me, with no name in the game as a player, you have to go through these bit by bit stages and take on the extra work and, 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 and hope to get some success to, to, to roll your career on. And that's what I did. And it worked out really well for me. But I'll always remember that London Marsh was a huge, huge part of that. You know, see, I was, I loved the under-20s, right, the World Cup. I don't, don't think it gets the uh, the airtime it, 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 it deserves from, like, the broadcasters, because you see you know, the future stars. So the future stars in the under-20s when you were there, so uh, the final and coming third place. So who were the sort of, they must be still playing today then, some of those players. Yeah, yeah. So the the, the first year when we finished third, um, Rob Evans, Samson Lee, um, Dan Thomas, who's at Bristol now, playing really well, Um uh, who else was there? Uh, Matthew Morgan, Tom Pridey. Um, yeah, the list goes on. There's a few. Jack Dixon, who's at the Dragons. It, it was that year, year, right? I kind of looked, um, I, I thought we had probably the stronger team on paper anyway when we finished third. But actually, our players that came through when we finished second and the gelling of that group was was unbelievable. So, I went into that World Cup not as confident as I did with the group before, but we did we did a lot better. And that was um, that was Ellis Jenkins was captain of that team, who was a fantastic leader, and I worked with through the through the Blues. Um, again, uh, who else? You had um, Rodri jo- uh, Rodri Williams, sorry, from Arthur, who's at the Dragons now, playing really well. Sam Davis, who was World World Player of the of the Year that year. Um, we had three candidates from that team, so there was Ellis Jenkins. Um, uh, Sam Davis and um, fullback. Oh my god, I can't believe I forgot his name. William, not Liam Williams, is it? He's too old. Jordan Williams, Go- Liam Williams, Gordon Williams, Jordan. Oh, Jordan Williams, yeah. 
Okay. Yeah, he's a, he was went to Bristol, didn't he, for a bit? Yeah, he's now back at the Dragons, fullback. Yeah. Um, had a blank then. An unbelievable, <laughs> an unbelievable player, real talent with the ball. But anyway, the three boys that came came into that team as as can, candidates for World Player of the Year that year, and then um, we had a, a series of other boys that really kicked on from that team and and did really well. So yeah, it was it was it was a, another brilliant experience. I remember you know winning a semi final at the death scoring a try really late in the game and then Sam Davis kicking a touchline conversion to get us into a final. So um, another another good experience. Yeah, quality. So you had a couple of years at Scarlet and then you went to Bristol for, for a year. I think, is that the year then you played London Welsh in the two-leg final? Is, is that yeah. the season? So was that the season after that then or before? No, I remember going to watch that. So <laughs> basically, um, again, I've done a couple of years at the Scarlets and then, Andy Robinson took over at Bristol and obviously Bristol had this huge budget at the time and, and uh, Steve Lansdowne taken over, which was massive. And, and, I, and I was coming towards the end of my contract with the Scarlets and I went up to to meet them and I was blown away. And, and also being from Western Supermare, it's kind of the home home club in many ways. And it's a club I played for as an under 21 and, and so on and so forth. So I, I was... Uh, yeah, keen, let's say, to, to look at it. So I went to look at it and it was, when I took the job, I was excited about potentially being in the Premiership the year after because, you know, um, Bristol had drawn London Welsh in the in the, um, in the the final, as you said, and, and were probably viewed as favourites with all the sort of names. And I just went up to watch. I wasn't, nothing to do with Bristol at the time, knowing that any London Welsh team could be dangerous in a final. So um, but also thinking or quietly thinking maybe we, you know, I'll be in the Premiership or whatever. So I went up to watch and was, yeah, kind of left there, pleased for London Welsh, but disappointed that I'd be spending a year in the Championship um, coaching Bristol, which which is what happened. Um, and, uh, and again, uh, it's something I really enjoy going back to the Championship and revisiting some of the places I'd gone. Um, and it was that mad league system. We won every game in the league. We beat Worcester twice that year. Top top of the table, top of the tree, and then we lost in the two-legged final. We drew one game, lost the other. And you lose by a point or something. Like that was that what it was? Is that the year? Uh, a couple of points, yeah, right yeah. at the end of the game um, to get to, to not go up. Now, in the background, and this is a twist in terms of rugby or my rugby career. In the background, I've been offered the, the Blues Cardiff Blues head coach job. Now, it was difficult again because I'd signed three years at Bristol, um, and timing in rugby is horrendous. Um, so I went to see Andy Robinson and said, look, it's a head coach job, you know, the same job as yours, back in Wales with Cardiff Blues, and I'd, I'd like to do it. And I remember him saying to me, we'll see what happens in the final, and I'll make a decision after the final. So I had no idea if we, that meant <laughs> if we won, he'd let me go, or if we lost, he'd let me go, or, or, or what it meant. So, But anyway, as it happened uh, a couple of weeks later, when, when he sort of settled and calmed down a little bit he, he said look if you, if you want to go and take the opportunity take it so I'm forever thankful to him as well that he, he allowed me to go and do do the Cardiff Blues job which was a, a massive job for me massive moment in my career and did he lose his job afterwards because where did Pat Lamb come in or did he did he have another season with Bristol and then got, Pat Lamb came in yeah he got them promoted um he went on uh they, they went they went up the year after I left I think it was um they went up and, and I think he did a year in the Premiership before he moved on and Pat came in. So that's a couple of years after my time. Okay, so but look, you're head coach now. So you've done your you've done your training, you've developed, you've learned loads. Head coach of Cardiff Blues, 
Um, and what so what you said earlier about the thing having like three years there, but the first year was was getting everything ready and sorted, and then you had the success in the years two and three and winning um, that the Challenge Cup in Bilbao. So that must be a, you know was that the end of, was that at the end of the three years that Danny yeah the, the, the Bilbao yeah, was, yeah so um, I went in a kind of three year project uh, Billy Millard was a massive part who's now at Harlequins as general manager was a massive part of me going there because he set a three year kind of got um, uh, planned and he put that together and we sat down and spoke about it and and at the first time I said said no to Bristol uh, said sorry no to London Watch I couldn't go but but it came back and forth back and forth and eventually. Um, as I said, I went to Andy and managed to get, get free to go. So when I got there, Mark Hammett had been there before me. He'd only been there for sort of six to eight months. You know, uh, the Blues had been through a number of coaches up to that point. Um, so I kind of knew what I was going into, uh, that it was it might might have its moments, let's say. And um, year one was a tough year, um, but we still did okay. Managed to tick a few boxes of, of getting, getting some improvements from where it was. Um, year two we kicked on and, and, and year three like you said we achieved all the goals we set out which was we, we felt overachieved and really we, tried, we needed to get back into Europe to back into the what was the what is now the Champions Cup so we managed to get back into the Champions Cup in that year um, we managed to kick on and, and get out of the group stages of the Challenge Cup which was another goal and then we won a quarter final in, in Edinburgh then we uh, won at home in the semi-final and went to a final and played Gloucester in Bilbao and, and had an unbelievable night and, and beat them in a really exciting game to, to win. You know, when, when a, uh, for me as a coach, to, you kind of don't think you've ever made it until you win something and to win um, silverware, even though it's the kind of second tier European competition in lots of, in lots of ways, it's, it's still a European trophy. So to win that was, was huge. And, um, by then, if I'm being honest, I'd probably fallen out a little bit with the board and um, fallen out a little bit with some people there, just on different views about different things. There was some financial difficulties. There was a number of things there that I, that, that I perhaps I perhaps didn't agree with, and and yeah, you know, as as it happens, and then I decided to, to part company. Uh, they were good enough to 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 allow me to go, um, and yeah, then I ended up with uh, in Scotland. Well, I suppose yeah, you left Cardiff, but there's this obviously. Um, I want to say rumours you'd signed for Wasp for, to be a forwards coach with Dai Young to be in the, in the Prem because until then you hadn't coached in the Premiership had you and so um, it's a great opportunity to, to coach with with, with Dai um, but then you then got uh, I suppose Scotland offered you a job as well so it's a you know it's great to have um, people wanting your services I suppose yeah again it, it twists and turns of rugby and it, you know especially in my career it's it's lots of people have said time in, in rugby is non-existent. You just don't know when these things are going to happen and when they're going to come up. And it's happened to me a few times. One in a lucky way, because it's been the next level of rugby each time. So you feel like you've been offered jobs that are the next job in your career. And if you can take them, you take them. If you can't, you'll, you'll work hard for the person you're working for if you're in contract. But yeah, I, I, I decided to leave, the, to leave the Blues. I thought my time w- was done there. I wanted to you know, move on for a number of reasons. And and then Di was offered me a, the forwards coach job at Wasps, and again I signed a contract where I put a deposit on a house um, to to live, you know, d- down uh, sort of near Coventry Way, and I was committed to it, and we were committed to it as a family. And then I got a phone call out of the blue from Gregor Townsend, and at the same time Scott Johnson was running Scottish Rugby at the time. He he phoned Di and 
I got off the phone to Gregor and I said, look, Gregor, I'm, I'm sorry, I've signed the contract. It's, it's a great honor, but I haven't even stepped foot at Wasps yet. I can't, you know, so I said, I can't do it. And, and he, Gregor being Gregor is very um, persuasive and very determined. And he, um, he said, Scott's speaking to Di as we speak. So I got off the phone, I phoned Di and, and Di was, was, was brilliant. He, he was obviously, as he said to me, well, it's not great for us. He said, but it's international rugby. Um, you don't know if you'll get another chance at international rugby. If I get a chance at international rugby, I hope somebody would allow me to go and at least have the conversation. So go and have the conversation with Scotland and let's see where it goes. Um, which, which again, brilliant of him. Uh, probably the worst thing I could have done though, because I went to have the conversation and I was sold. You know, I thought the thought of having a crack at a World Cup and Six Nations and all these different things was just was too good. And I went back to Dyne and said, look, um, I do want to do it. I'm not going to lie. It's a great opportunity. How, however, if you say no and you want me to hold me to my contract, I will work as hard to, for you as I have done for anyone. Um, and, I, and I'm, you know, and I was true to that. I was still looking forward to us. Uh, but he said, look, if, if they come to the table and agree everything that needed to be agreed, then then I could go and go and do the job. So Di was outstanding and, and uh, yeah, I'm again forever grateful for, for him allowing me to take the opportunity with Scotland, which, you know, led to uh, two Six Nations, a World Cup um, and massive learnings from international rugby. So you mentioned that obviously Six Nations were the, the, the draw versus England. You then would have played England last year in, in horrible conditions at Murrayfield, but then you had the World Cup in between. What's it like, you know, going to a World Cup um, because obviously you had the lead up to that is, is massive, is it? You have so much time with the players to get them ready. Uh, and obviously you're away from your family a lot. So you know, what, what, what's that experience like as a, as a coach, Danny? Well, the first Six Nations was, was a massive experience in itself. And the first time I was a home game at Murrayfield just blew me away. It's another level. It's another level. I worked with Sean Edwards at, at the blues for a bit and he said to me international rugby is totally different you wait till game day and it's unreal, unreal. <laughs> that 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 six nations was great and um i did the autumn internationals we did we did okay in those six nations then from that six nations to the world cup we had a series of camps um and, and it, it, it's it, it's as they say it comes in waves you get nothing you get a lull of no coaching for a while and just analysis and watching games and you get a bit frustrated at times and then bang you get hit with this wave of intensity of, of the games and like like the boys are in now the six nations um so the world cup being in japan as well was a very different experience full stop so i was really looking forward to that we had some great camps and lead-ups to the world cup um and the world cup you know i think we we had a bad start against ireland and we lost in the rain um we had two good wins then against russia where i bumped into uh to, to Lynn and to, to Chris Jenkins, the London Welsh. Um, yeah. He's popped, popped up there. Um, and Samoa, we beat Samoa quite convincingly. And then it was all down to that game against Japan. And we had a couple of days training cancelled because the typhoon had hit. So we didn't go in with the best prep. But we had a four-day turnaround from, from uh, Russia to Japan, which wasn't ideal. And yeah, we, we, we lost that game. And it was extremely disappointing to come out of the group stages. And we took a fair bit of stick for that which is all part of the job. Um, but, you know, some, some brilliant, brilliant memories. And the, the, the game at Twickenham before the World Cup we, with a famous 31-all draw was a game I'll never forget where, um, you know, we were embarrassed at halftime, getting hammered. And then second half, we come out and 
just turn on some unbelievable rugby and Finn Russell and people like that were in their element at the time and we pulled it back to a game we should have won and then England scored right at the death to draw. So an unbelievable game of rugby. But um, yeah, it was uh, another another big experience, a great experience. I, I missed head coaching a little bit, if I'm honest, and um, I probably had reasons why I was keen to get back to head coaching. And when we came back from the World Cup, you're in that stage where you either go into your sort of your next kind of cycle. Um, but but uh, having spoken to um, the, the kind of boss here at, um, at Scottish Rugby, where I spoke to to a few guys about the Glasgow opportunity and that Dave Rennie was going to be moving on to to Australia and the the job was going to be available. Was it something I was interested in? And although I was enjoying uh, parts of international rugby, there was some of it that perhaps wasn't, and and therefore I thought, yeah, what a great opportunity to to go and head coach again and. I took the job and then COVID hit and I'm sat where I'm sat. Yeah, sorry you're talking to me on Sunday night, but look, Danny, you've had a, an amazing coaching career. You coached main, you know, three of the four uh, Welsh regions, you know, um, international women, you know, under twenties, uh, forwards coach for Scotland. You know, so but, but when you reflect on your career, you know, what do you make of your experience at London Welsh when you're there for those couple of years? There's a huge, huge part of where I am now. I don't think I'd be where I, where I am now if it wasn't for my time at London Welsh. I think you, you you had to get in and roll your sleeves up. You know what I mean? You had to really, really work. And I learned quickly from my mistakes um, and, and also from well, my, my mistakes, positive and negative, from building relationships with players. You know, sometimes I got that wrong as a young coach and, and didn't, and didn't, yeah, didn't always get that right. But what I learned come the end of it was how important your senior players were and how important your relationship with your players are, are the honesty element that you have with them. Um, th- those things are massive. And your staff and getting everybody on the same page and and not, you know, obviously, as I say, you have your negotiables and your non-negotiables and your non-negotiables are something that everybody respects that we have to have in the, in the head coach has to make those decisions. But the negotiables are the areas that, you open up for for everyone involved to make the decisions on, everyone everyone involved to to help um, make a decision on what direction we're going in, and and I and I learned a huge amount from that London Welsh, and I, and then the other thing was obviously adversity, how you handle adversity. It could have collapsed quite easily in that year, and we did the opposite. So I look back with fond memories, had some great relationships with people, met some really good people, and I think it put a foundation in for me to deal with things like Cardiff Blues that I had to deal with some adversity, financial problems there, and the adversity I'm dealing with now at, at Glasgow with, you know, everything that's going on at the moment, we're in a really tough year, but I'm also confident next year, like the London Welsh example or the Cardiff Blues example, will come out of that, will be better for that, um, and we'll hopefully go on to achieve something, but uh, we'll have to wait and see. Look, Danny, I really appreciate your time. I know you're a very busy man. Um, look, come come back to Oldie Park at some point if you or bring Glasgow to train that down to London Welsh. I know we're not the same sort of level, but it might be a bit of fun of a training session. But look, come to the club at some point, come and see us all, and you know, good luck for the rest of the season. And thanks for your time today again. I'd love to do that, and yeah, thank you very much for your time. It's always always a pleasure to do anything uh, involved with London Welsh. So thank you. Cheers.